This is Paladin Financial Talk with Jeff Foley and the Paladin Financial Team. Basically, the more accounts you have, the more opportunities there are for mistakes. So taking control of your assets may help you to avoid some of those common mistakes that investors make. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals, your money, and your plans in perfect harmony. And now, here's Paladin Financial Talk. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Paladin Financial Talk. I am Nikki Foley, your host today, and I couldn't be more excited. We got a guest with us. I'm actually, before we do this, I'm running the show today. There's no Tony Shore, so we'll make sure I'm hitting the right buttons and hopefully everybody can hear us. But I'm with guest Jay Dacey of Jay Dacey Mortgage Team. So they're right here uh, in Minnesota. But good news is they also support in some other areas. But let's just uh, let's just dig in here. And I don't want to spend too much on the intro, but uh, I kind of have a fun name. I wrote the title. Yeah. And so let me tell you what it is, Jay, and then I'm going to I'm going to introduce you here. So to help us answer the age old question, which comes first, the chicken or the egg of real estate investing? How are you feeling about my title? There? I like it. Yeah. All right. Maybe a little creativity, but Jay is just a wealth of knowledge and has a ton of experience for our listeners today. And so we want to guide you through the fundamentals of mortgage lending and what you need to know about real estate ventures for both the novice as well as the seasoned uh, seasoned investor here. And so uh, we introduced this topic um, for the month of real estate and business ownership. And so let's just start with a warm welcome from Mr. Jay Daisy. Thank you for being here, Jay. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And you're not new to our show. We've nope. had you a couple times. So I think we had you maybe four months ago. Yeah, this is the third time. I'm happy to be here again. All right. We like having you. We're in new studios this time and they just keep getting better. So uh, that's kind of a nice addition uh, for, for anybody that likes to watch us. We have new studio and we get to graduate to an even better studio. I believe it's going to be next week or maybe beginning of March here. So uh, kind of fun to have some new additions here. So because we may have people tuning in for the first time or haven't listened to an episode that you've been on in the past, let's let you brag about yourself for sure. just a little bit here. And so tell us what it means to be a mortgage lender and just a little bit about your background. Yeah. So I grew up on a farm about an hour southwest of the Twin Cities in a small town called Green Isle, Minnesota. Population was 182 when I left in 1998. And, um, you know, growing up on a farm, my dad always had that, I think it was Will Rogers, you know, buy land. They aren't making any more of it. And so my first real estate venture was I bought a small farm when I was 18. So I took my college money that I had saved up and bought a farm instead. Um, fast forward a couple of years, I bought my first house with my brother who is 10 years older than I am. So I had saved up some money for down payment. He graduated with his master's in real estate finance from UW-Madison, like one of the best schools for, for real estate finance. And I'll never forget the day he came home because I was still in school. I wasn't really working to be able to be on the loan application. So it was just him. And he came home and said, hey, dude, I met with the loan officer from the bank today and, and we have two options. I can either get a five-year arm at five and a half percent or a 30-year fixed at seven and a half percent. And man, we will never have an opportunity to borrow this much money for this low of a rate for this long of a time ever again in our lives. <laughs> and we see how that turned out for the next 20 years. Interest rates slowly, slowly went down. And uh, here we are today with rates back up to where we were about 25 years ago. So um, when I graduated college, I uh, had a business for a year with a friend of mine. We had a, a boat dealership. And after driving uh, through Minnesota in December, January, February to boat shows, 
uh, trailering a boat. I decided that was not the best thing for me to be doing. And uh, so I, I saw an ad for a, a loan officer at a local company in Minneapolis and I applied for that job and you know, the rest is kind of history. So what I just learned from you here, Jay, is farming was not in your blood, at least <laughs> at this point, what I can tell, but I've hit the jackpot with having you here as it relates to real estate yep. combined with entrepreneurship and business ownership. It's what you've been doing yeah. your whole life. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for being uh, here for our listeners. And so uh, I'm going to ask our, our style. will do this today. I'm going to ask you some questions and give you some scenarios and you just fire away with all that expertise that you have over there. Let's go. All right. So first of all, you are a mortgage lender. What does that mean? And what does that compare to a broker and a real estate agent? Just kind of dissect this for us. Yeah. Great question. So at the end of the day, there's there's a bunch of titles that people that do what I do use. Um, loan officer, mortgage lender, mortgage broker, mortgage professional. Our job is really to help somebody that's buying a house get the financing so that they can purchase the house if they don't have the cash on hand. And we work close, closely with real estate agents who will then represent the buyer to find the house and negotiate the contract. And we make sure that the money's there that they have closing. Um, the main difference between a mortgage broker and a mortgage lender is a broker, they're going to shop the mortgage for you with multiple lenders and they're going to get paid the day of closing. A mortgage lender might be captive where they only have their bank's resources, or they might also have other lenders that they can sell to like a broker does as well. And so they provide the money at closing. So when you sign your house uh, at closing, the bank is the bank, but they're going to most likely sell your loan two or three days later to, to a bigger institution. But we all do the same thing. There's no real pros or cons over each one, but each person will tell you that there is, and it's all kind of the same. This was, sounds complicated. Good thing that you're in the seat that you're in. And uh, we just go to you when we say we need a little money to, to do something fun along the way here. Yeah. So let's set the stage of what where we've been the last couple of weeks, because our topic has been real estate and business ownership. And you probably think, how do those two intersect? But they really do. And so in our first show, Jeff Foley uh, was on and he really talked about how um, you know, real estate investing is often viewed as a reliable way to accumulate wealth. Yep. And it's age old and people uh, have been doing that for quite some time. And so hence why we have that as part of our financial podcast. But another common thread that we see in the seat of the financial professional is oftentimes people have accumulated wealth through their investment in real estate. And oftentimes entrepreneurship goes along with that. And so that comes to our title that I have today is, uh, is it the chicken or the egg? Which one comes first in real estate or is it real estate or entrepreneurship? And I don't know that there's actually an answer to that, but as we look at things, we're gonna go through a couple different scenarios. And so, you know, do people find success in real estate and then leverage those holdings to launch their own business or, do they potentially have businesses and have the capital to venture into other you know, areas once they have their business venture into other areas? And so I don't know that the answer matters, but it's an interesting way to look at things. Yeah, and I, th I think you're right. There's the, the right answer is that depends on your situation and, and where you're at in life. You know, we've had clients that, you know, they you know, 22, 23 years old, graduate college, their parents might give them a gift and they get into a duplex or a fourplex as their first property. And they just like, that winds up being it. And they go out and get married and have a family and just buy a single family house. And like, that's their real estate investment. And we have other people that bought their first property and then they pulled cash out after there's some appreciation, bought their next property and it just kind of snowballs. And so it's a very slow way 
to build wealth. It's it's not a get rich quick schema, though a lot of people online and social media, it's like, oh, get rich quick in real estate. It's it's a very slow game, but it's uh, a very consistent thing because over time, you know, one of the benefits of a 30 year fix, which I think Warren Buffett said was like an investor's greatest invention was to have the option to have 30 years worth of money at a guaranteed interest rate. Um, you know, in the stock market, there's a lot of fluctuations and some of that fluctuation is driven by what are interest rates at. So if you're able to lock in a 30 year fixed rate, Think about what you were paying for rent in your college house 20 some years ago, or in your case, Nikki, maybe 10 years ago, my case, 20 years ago, um, you know, rents have probably doubled or tripled, but that landlord's mortgage has stayed the same. So that's one of the inherent benefits of being in, in real estate and getting started earlier is that you can lock in money for a long period of time and that stays fixed. If it goes down, you can always refinance and take advantage of a lower rate, but it's not going to go up. But your rents over time should, you know, double every 10 years, give or take. Yeah. And most of um, the individuals that we meet with are pre-retirees and moving from that accumulation to taking income. Uh, but in recent, we've actually started doing more education and meeting with younger individuals. And you hit the nail on the head there that passive income and what they're seeing on the internet and social media so much has to do with buying homes or flipping them and making that passive income. And yeah. so I think it's a good thing to bring out uh, as part of you know, no matter who we're talking to and what our audience is and who our listeners are, there's different ages where this conversation might hit them differently. And so being whether you're young and you're thinking about wanting to have a second income or doing yep. something where they can be aggressive. Um, I just, you and I, before the show started, I was talking about a friend and I'm going to bring her up as one of our scenarios that they are, you know, they've been in the work world 20 some years, they've worked corporate and they have an itch to do something different. And so they start following some of their passions and being a business owner in real estate often comes into play. Yeah, it's an easy way to get into it. And you brought up, I think last time um, that, or maybe a couple times ago when we had you on the show is also as you start to retire, there's an opportunity with reverse mortgages that you can have some, uh, some play with that as well. So it hits almost every different generation in a different way and what they're looking for. Yeah. And I think uh, my favorite tagline about real estate is don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. Like the sooner you get started, the better off you're in. And then uh, there's another guy I follow, Howard Marks. He uh, started a company called Oak Tree. He's a very big guy in the investment space and in the debt markets. But his thing was, it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. Yeah. And so I think that holds true with both stocks and bonds as well as real estate. It's it's time in the market, not trying to time the market. Yeah. Thanks for giving a few um, few resources there. I know Oak Tree, it's one that's a common name that we see. And so thanks for giving a few of those resources. Uh, one of the things, so we started with, you know, the, again, the topic of real estate and uh, business ownership. And last week we had Jeff Quick and Dory Petroff from our team go through just setting up a business. So real estate could be a business for you and some of the things to be aware of as you as you potentially go down this path. And so we're laying the foundation for what we want this week to look like. And it's really getting into the the meat and potatoes today, the heart of this and the, and the nitty gritty with you and yeah. your expertise. So I'm going to fire away with uh, with some questions for you here. And uh, I can't wait to see you go to work with <laughs> with all the knowledge you have over there. All right. All right. So first question, business owner or not, give us just an update on the market and residential and commercial, if you would. Yeah. So I'll start with the residential because that's the area that I'm most familiar with. Um, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, 2020, 2021 rates were, you know, down in that 3% range. Home values were going up quite a bit. And then, uh, you know, the fall around Thanksgiving at 21, we saw rates were going to start going up a little bit. 
And they went up a lot further than anybody expected because inflation, if you remember, it was supposed to be transitory. And then you'd go to the gas station and gas is still high and eggs were still high. And, you know, it wasn't transitory. It was it was here to stay at least for a while. And so what should have happened, if you think about it, with interest rates having gone up so fast, that should have really cooled down the housing market. And, you know, values, candidly, most people if they didn't know, would expect that rates or that, that rates going up would cause values to come down some because mm-hmm. the homeowners make their monthly payment and a monthly payment on a 7% mortgage is drastically higher than a 3% mortgage, yet values didn't fall. Mm-hmm. And what that tells me is that there's this huge unmet demand for real estate inventory in the single family space that's just not being met. And if you, you know, think about if you're in the first ring or in the city suburbs, um, you know, something's three hundred and fifty, four hundred thousand dollars to find a new house for that price point. You're getting on the highway and going 45 minutes in whatever direction you choose to to find a new house for that, you know, four hundred thousand dollar mark. So I just think that regardless of where rates go, um, real estate and the residential space will be solid. If rates do come back down, I think it's going to be good for home values going up. But I also think that there's a ton of people out there that have been in their house, like their first house for seven, eight, nine years. Whereas before people were in their first house for two, three, four years and they move on. So people kind of have these golden handcuffs on with their 3% rate. And at 8% moving up doesn't make sense. At 7% moving up doesn't make sense. But I think as we if we see rates come back down to like that five, five and a half percent, I think that's going to be enough motivation for those people that are current homeowners to be willing to sell their house and trade up for the bigger house, which should free up a lot of new inventory for the people that are renting right now that are out actively looking. But, you know, they're going up against, you know, in January, it's like 10 offers by April, May, it'll probably be 30 offers for the for that one house. So demand is just incredibly strong. All right, Jay, and you really answered my my next question, and then I'm going to come back to the real estate side of things. So, you know, your advice on waiting to purchase a property until the perfect interest rate, I think you kind of answered it there. Yeah, I think if you're waiting to buy for a lower rate, you're going to pay more for that same house because people are driven by what the payments are. And as rates come down, payments come down, and that forces the price to go up. So I, I think, again, don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait, and you can always refinance down the road. There's, there's a super cheesy tagline that people in our industry, I've, I've avoided using it, but I'm just going to share it with you because it's been very prevalent. And I have like aunts and uncles saying, oh, don't uh, you, um, you marry the house, but you date the rate, meaning buy the house today. You might only have your mortgage for six months, 12 months, 18 months, but as rates come down, then you can refinance. So marry the house, date the rate is kind of like the industry slang for what to do right now. I have heard that one. And I appreciate what you're doing for our listeners. You're giving them a few nuggets that they can latch on to. And I think that's so helpful along the way as they they try to comprehend all the information that's out there and decide you know what to do and how yeah. to respond to it. So so that's good. All right. So how about the commercial real estate side of thing? Let's go into that. Yeah. So I'm not heavily involved in that piece of the world, but what I do know is that you know the industrial side of things. Like if you're driving down 694, 169, you're still seeing those big, gigantic you know brick cement buildings being built for Amazon and like big, you know, distribution companies. So that I think is still pretty strong, but you know, downtown Minneapolis, downtown St. Paul, the vacancy rates on office buildings are, are fairly high in particular, like in the inner cities, if you get out in the suburbs, there's not as much uh, pain there, but um, you know, that'll all just 
kind of shake out over time. Um, it's not a huge portion of the economy. Like a lot of people see the big IDS center and the big commercial buildings. They think that's the economy, but it's, it's a relatively small portion of the overall economy, but there's definitely going to be some, you know, some people having to give back the keys to their office space and, you know, somebody else will come in and, and either re release it out, uh, or get creative. And, you know, we might see some conversions from offices into condos that's happening yeah. in New York and some other markets too. So we might see a little bit of that, but overall, I think, you know, the market's going to do what it's going to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there has been chatter about, and maybe it's, it's subsided a little bit since COVID, but what was going to happen with the real estate market? And we were, you know, people are waiting for that crash and just yeah. not knowing. And I think you answered it there. It's, it's a smaller segment than maybe people realize. Yeah, it's very, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big. And people are creative. I mean, that's the world we live in and, and you converting it to residential or whatever it yeah. might be. That's great. And you're seeing a big push too now with like some of the downtown councils. They're they're pushing some of the bigger employers to kind of mandate like you guys need to have your employees yeah. come in at least three days a week or four days a week because all these restaurants are closing left and right. And without that, what do we have? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, those are the things that we're hearing. And so putting all the pieces together is kind of fun to, yeah. to see it work together. All right. So, Jay, let's get into some scenarios here. And, um, you know, I want to have you point out a, uh, a few things as it relates to the lending piece of it, because sure. that's where your expertise. But you're such a good business person and entrepreneur as well. Just point out pros and cons as we go through we'll do. each one of these. <clears throat> All right. So I've mentioned this one a little bit, but I have a friend who owns two vacation rentals in northern Minnesota. Uh, one of them is right on Lake Superior, like, you know, within a block of yeah. it. And so popular place. Uh, they own an outdoor like gear company, paddle boards and oh, things sure. like that. They're super outdoorsy, really enjoy that that side of life. They oftentimes take people up to northern Minnesota and show them an experience. And so as they're growing closer to retirement, so they own the the gear company and husband primarily runs that. She's corporate, has been corporate, big corporation for pretty much her whole her whole life. And as they start to look towards retirement, they're thinking of, do we do, uh, you know, bed and breakfast? Do we do we buy a resort? And what could this look like? And so after I think she's amazing and like the lifestyle they're thinking about building and yeah. retirement after I get past all of that, my mind goes into business mode. And so from your perspective, what would a loan look like for um, just helping our listeners understand what a loan looks like on a primary residence versus a secondary one. Yep. And if they use that for income, like, you know, one of the two homes she has uh, for rental. And then what if she does get into buying a property? Just walk through what that lending looks like in each of those. Sure. Yeah. So again, we talked about the 30 year fix being a great instrument before. And, and that's the most common option for buying, you know, another condo or a single family, like a, a cabin up on the, on the lake. So the terms are pretty much the same. They're usually 30 year fixed. Uh, investment properties are going to require a little bit more down payment. Um, you know, you can still get into a second home with 10% down investment property. You need, you know, 15 to 25%, depending if it's a, you know, single family, a condo, a, a fourplex. So the, the options are the same, but it's just the fees and the rates are going to be a little bit higher because history has told us that in downturns, people will let their cabin go before they let their house go. And so because of that extra risk layer, uh, you'll wind up paying a little bit higher interest rate and a little bit higher fees to get that same loan. Okay, perfect. And then what about in the the situation where if they buy a resort, they um, have occupants or they're, you know, it's being rented on a regular basis or yeah. 
they started. I mean, they could be either scenario. Does that come into play? Um, it doesn't come into play in the world that we deal in too much. Um, I mentioned in the elevator on the way up to the studio that, uh, you know, there's a, a woman that I know that she sells real estate in Minnesota and is also doing some stuff in Florida. And, and she's looking at buying a golf course right now um, that she lives on. So I'm, I've actually had a conversation this morning with her about her, but her situation is they own a property up here and another townhome up here. So what they're doing to leverage that is they're getting home equity lines of credit against the existing real estate that they do own to get into that commercial space. And so because they bought their first properties a few years ago, they've got that equity built up so they can access that now for a down payment in the commercial space. Um, it's so fascinating to, you know, look into things that you might not know on the everyday. And so, you know, you think about it's a 30, 30 year loan, like that's kind of the basics that we have all been conditioned to know. Yep. But as you look and you start to have professionals in your, uh, in your arena, you can be creative with financing and some of the ways that you can do it. And it might be more, more available and accessible than you ever realize. You just have to start digging and doing a little bit of your info gathering and yeah. you never know where you're going to end up with some of this. Yeah. And a lot of the people that started out that are now big players in the commercial real estate, they started out with, you know, friends and family money raising, you know, 25 grand from their aunt and 25,000 bucks from their dentist. And they go out and buy a million dollar apartment building. And then again, because they got started, over time, they built up that equity, then they can pay out their partners and then go on to the next deal on their own or do a bigger deal with their accountant and with their CPA and their uh, dentist and Uncle Shirley or Aunt Shirley. You know, like they, yeah. they kind of crowdfund, if you will. Um, and there's also um, kind of some online resources. I'm not super familiar with them, but there's some online platforms that people can raise funds for real estate um, that are available too. Yeah, I've seen the crowdfunding and there's, you know, depending on what you want to do with real estate, there's options about how active you want to be and how, uh, or maybe you want to be passive. And so yeah. uh, certainly something to have a conversation with your financial professional, happy to have the conversation at Paladin, but also, you know, working with somebody that's in the lending space and and so forth. Okay. I know that SBA loans is not where you spend your time, yep. but just kind of at a high level. I know I have a little bit of background as part of what I did previously. I worked with individuals on business, business continuity and succession planning. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and there can be some attractive pros and cons to everything, something attractive yeah. about a small business loan, but there's also some cons. And so go through just any experience that you've had. Yeah. So it's very minimal. You know, I, I'll scratch the surface a little bit because that's as deep as I can go. Um, you know, SBA is a pretty common one for, you know, if, if you're going to open up a franchise or something like that, that's going in a stable industry um, or buy a golf course that has a track record or a hotel with a you know track record. So SBA is the most common type of small business financing. Um, and you can get by depending on the circumstances with 10% down. Um, so that's, that's a great option if you're looking to, you know, buy a Jimmy John's franchise and you want to own the building that it's in, like SBA would be able to go up to 90%. Um, the terms on those though, aren't quite as favorable as a 30 year fix. They usually have like a seven year balloon or a 10 year balloon, meaning you make your payment on say a 20 year term amortization schedule, but then you have to come up with the balance due in seven years or 10 years and you have to refinance it. And going back to that commercial space, a lot of people took out like five-year arms or seven-year arms balloons that are now going to be coming due sooner or later. So if we don't get a kind of correct course, that's where we think some of those bigger um, office buildings could could come into some trouble. Yeah. Uh, I think it's inviting to know what your options are. Mm -hmm. um, experience that I've had has been there's a lot of hoops to jump through as it yeah. relates to them and you lose control. And oftentimes business owners uh, are individuals that want control and want to make sure that they they don't have um, 
things that are outside of their control. And that might yeah. be one that's not not a fit because of that, but something to certainly know information on. Was well, there any other factors as it relates to our scenario that would be uh, would be good for our listeners to know? Well, going back to your friend with the cabin, um, you know, one of the things that the online promoters and, you know, 10 years ago, the late night infomercial promoters were talking about all the tax benefits of real estate. Um, and candidly, they're not as great as you're led to believe if you're a W-2. So if you're a teacher or a doctor, et cetera, regardless of your income level, if you own a duplex and rent it out, you're going to have some losses on your taxes, but you can't use that loss to offset your W-2 income. You just carry forward the loss on your taxes until you have another gain to offset that loss or until you sell the property. So a lot of people think there's all these tax benefits to being a passive investor, but the tax benefits that people look for are really only uh, available to the active investors. And so uh, for our listeners, kind of the the loophole right now is that if you were to pick up, say, a, a cabin in Alexandria and you were to put it on VRBO, Airbnb, and you manage it yourself, because you're actively involved with it, the IRS would allow you to take some of those losses. Um, so that's kind of the loophole that your readers might, or your listeners rather, might be interested in learning a little bit more about. That's funny you say that. Uh, that is actually how my friend does it, is she is actively the one that manages all of the, the rentals and yeah. has done it as, a, you know, on the side as a business so yeah. that she's active in it. So many details that you don't know until you start peeling back the onion and yeah. understanding why somebody does something. And I think that's the spirit of any of this as you're, as you're thinking about whether it's real estate or being a small business owner, start with just the information gathering and be curious, just be curious and ask all the questions to the people that are around you and, and you'll learn a lot. Yeah. Model, model what works. If you've got a successful friend or family member that's, that's already done it, just ask them how do they do it. Most people that are successful are more than willing to share with the people that want to learn. Don't reinvent reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Okay. Another scenario here, small business owners like your organization or Paladin, um, they usually start out as a tenant mm -hmm. leasing from somebody. And then at some point it may make sense to buy a property. And so first thing is what are some of the things that a business owner should take into consideration in the leasing versus buying evaluation process? I think you have to try and, you know, forecast what the business is going to look like in two years, three years, 10 years from now, because if you purchase a property, you know, you're kind of committed to that space unless you want to sell it. And if your business doubles or triples in size, you know, you might have to sell it and go somewhere else. So the benefit of leasing is you've got a little bit more flexibility on the term uh, of the loan if, if your business happens to grow or contract. Yeah. Uh, very good perspective on that one. Um, I know that there is just throwing a few other things in there. You know, when you're leasing, a lot of the things are taken care of for you. Uh, could be technology, could be maintenance, could be common shared space. Yep. Like there's a lot of things that, um, I don't want to say you take for granted, but are built into, you know, your lease rate and you just go about your merry way. The In, in Minnesota, the snow plowing that happens yeah. in the, the parking lot makes a big difference. When you start buying buildings, the, the, the costs that go into and potentially upfront costs like building out the technology, building out the space, like those can be significant and you have to make sure that you're weighing all the different pieces that yeah. go along with it. And the size of a building, I mean, if you get too big of a building, you have to have individuals that are on maintenance staff and potentially, you know, boilers. And like you could go down <laughs> a rabbit hole on yeah. how much you need to have invested in that and the people that you need to be surrounding. So uh, a few things you learn along the way as well. And what about uh, should you build from ground up, you know, buy land build versus remodeling? And is there a difference in lending if you were looking at that? 
you know, that's in the commercial space. So I, I'll just touch on it because I don't know all the granular details. I like I would about residential transaction, but you know, it's it's fairly expensive to build right now. So if you're out looking for space, my guess is it's going to be more cost beneficial to find a space and, and work with that space. And as opposed to try and pick up a piece of land, go through permitting and zoning and all that stuff. And then, you know, it might be, might be a year or two before your building's even ready. So, um, most people I think would be better off finding a, a property to, to buy as is. Yeah, and, and, absolutely. And I, you know, uh, I don't think we have to go too deep, but just having the concept out there is important on, yeah. you know, starting the process. Okay. And that's what I'm going to ask of this next question as well. Again, you can keep it high level cause I think you can go deep on this, but if you're looking at the price of a property and let's say that again, back to our scenario, we decide that we're going to uh, buy a property. Yep. You can buy one that fits who you are and maybe with a little room to grow, or you could look at buying a property where you have more, more than enough space, you have tenants in it and you think, well, could that almost cover the mortgage that I'm going to have? And yeah. you look at it from that perspective, might be bringing on another job if you yep. have tenants and taking care of that. But tell me just what are some of the things that you should evaluate and how would lending look like in that scenario? Yeah, I think one of the advantages of, um, you know, bigger is better is kind of the catchphrase in commercial real estate. You know, you'd rather have one hundred thousand square foot building than 10 10,000 square foot buildings, um, just because there's one roof versus 10 roofs, et cetera. So bigger is better. So if you're just getting started in commercial real estate and you have a small business like you you and I have, um, you know, it, it might be prudent to go out and try and find a space that's roughly double what you need, because with that SBA loan, um, you're allowed to have other tenants as long as you occupy more than 50% of the space. So um, you could definitely find a space that, you know, over time you could maybe grow into and have one of the tenant vacate that part of the building if you wind up growing. Um, and, and so that's one aspect of it is, you know, over time, the appreciation on a, a million dollar building is going to be twice that of a $500,000 building because you're just starting with a bigger asset to begin with. So that would be the main advantage of, you know, going bigger right out of the gate. And you went through this when we were coming up here chatting a little bit, uh, the tenants and what their, what it looks like a Starbucks versus, you know, a mom and pop coffee shop. How yeah. does that work in valuing the business? Yes. The building, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a, a passive investor that's just looking at through the lens of I'm going to buy this building and collect rent. Um, I'm not going to have office space in it. I'm not going to have a warehouse space. This is just a pure investment. That's probably the biggest thing they look for, you know, the location, the price, and then who is the tenant that's paying rent? Because, you know, a triple A credit grade tenant is going to be worth a lot more than a startup coffee shop. Um, and so they're willing to pay more for that same property based on who the tenant is. So, so that's one thing to look for is, uh, high credit tenants that will, you know, have ideally they have a parent company that guarantees their lease, you know, so, um, some big companies, uh, come to mind locally. Like, uh, I know there's a lot of, um, dollar stores for sale right now and dollar generals that are on the market right now. And, and some of them, if you read the verbiage says that there's a corporate guaranteed lease, which means like the mothership, you know, back home, they guarantee that this rent will get paid. So that gives the local mom and pop investor the reassurance that if that store shuts down, they'll continue to pay. I mean, just down the street in Lexington, <laughs> there's the Amazon yeah. uh, that was meant to be, that's just sitting there right now. So, uh, but whoever owns that building is still getting paid from Amazon, fortunately for them. I'm so curious about that building. I feel like I just want to sit here and keep talking about that building for a bit. But uh, with that, I don't know that there's a need to debate the chicken or the egg. Yeah. And I think that we've given, you have given, as, as you are the expert here, so much good information to just start doing your research. If you think that real estate is something that you're interested in, there's a lot of ways to get into it, a lot of ways to think about the lending side of things and be curious. Yeah. Use your resources around you. 
And so is there anything else that you want to give little nuggets, anything that uh, we can lighten the conversation a bit here and, and you want to share with people? Yeah, I, I think back to when I first started, um, you know, somebody said, I just, I just want to keep renting. I don't want to have a mortgage. And the response from the person I was talking was, was everybody has a mortgage. It's either your own or your landlord's because you're paying somebody else's mortgage if you're renting. And so just if, give that food for thought. Um, you know, it's, it's never too early to start. You know, the only time I would advise somebody against getting into their first property is if, you know, they might be re- relocated in like a year or two because some of the transactional costs of selling kind of offset some of that gain. But, you know, if, if you're in it for the long haul, definitely get started sooner than later. Um, I feel like real estate is one of those topics that is almost a little bit um, polarizing. People have a really strong opinion on one way or the other. Yeah. Like, don't touch real estate because of this, this, and this. Yeah. Or it's their passion. And and it's <laughs> interesting to find that there's not a lot in, of in between. It's no. one or the other. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's people that don't own real estate think it's just you're going to get a phone call at two in the morning and you have to come fix a leaky toilet. And (laughs) that might happen, but it doesn't happen as often as you think. Absolutely. Uh, Okay. Just a couple quick hits and then I'm going to let you go. So buying in a high demand area at a premium or lower price in a less attractive area. Recommendation? I think it kind of just comes down to the individual's fit and what they're happy with. You know, so if you're buying a house for yourself, buy where you want to live. Yeah. Regardless of if it's a high demand area or, or lower demand area. Um, house hacking. Have you heard that terminology before? Yeah, there's, um, there's a website called bigger pockets that a lot of people that are interested in real estate go to, cause there's a lot of great resources there. I've spent a little bit of time just poking around to see what it's all about. Uh, but they have this thing called Burr and it's buy rehab, refinance and rent. Okay. And so you buy the property that ideally it needs some repairs. So you can get some sweat equity into it. And then after you put your sweat equity in, it's going to be worth more. So you can refinance and pull some cash out and then you rent that property out and you go buy another one and repeat. So it's Burr is the acronym. Um, and yeah, and just recently um, Fannie Mae came out with a 5% down option for owner occupied up to fourplexes. Previously it was like 25%. Um, so I think that there's going to be a lot more people doing that house hacking with multifamily properties going forward. Yeah. Uh, you know, we meet with some younger individuals. Uh, we had one just a couple of weeks ago that, well, actually two of them recently that they need to have roommates. And so they're getting creative mm-hmm. with how they go about doing this and potentially a duplex would be the situation. Yeah. They live on one side, rent out the other side. And so with what you just shared on the 5% down, we're going to see more creativity and and what people are doing to get into a house because it's expensive. Yeah. And the other thing that a lot of our clients have done the last couple of years is they've bought properties like cabins and then put them on VRBO, Airbnb. And what we're seeing is a lot of those people, assuming that they're near a medical facility, a lot of those people that were previously renting their property out to like bachelor parties or bachelorette parties or families with kids that just want to spend a week of vacation, if they're near a medical facility, they're doing the traveling nurse, like yeah. short, mid, long-term leases with traveling nurses. And they said the the money is as good, if not better, but the wear and tear on the property is drastically lower because those traveling nurses are like going, going to bed, yeah. waking up, going to work 12 hours later, going to bed, waking up. It's like there's very little wear and tear on the property. So that's been another big trend is investors that have, you know, vacation homes or even single family homes that are in areas near hospitals, they're pivoting towards that. I don't know. I mean, traveling nurses, uh, bless them. They're super expensive on the healthcare system. So I think that hospital administrators might wind up cracking down on 
sure. that current dynamic that's going on. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, my older brother has three properties that are rental properties in different locations. And that's what he did on his most recent purchase. He's um, uh, kind of Gulf Coast area, yeah. has a doctor in there, six month yep. situation. And yeah, exactly. So such a good point as, uh, as we wrap things up. Well, anything else that you want to share with uh, our listeners today? No, if, if anybody's inspired to, you know, ask me questions, I'd be happy to, to chat with you. So um, you can reach me at uh, 651 three one five seven six eight one or our website is just my name it's www.jaydacdy.com all right well that's fantastic and you can always reach us at paladin financial if you have any questions about uh, what this might look like and how real estate might play into your overall financial picture you can reach us at 651-842-8406 or at paladinfinancial.com, P-A-L-A-D-I-N financial.com. And also continue to follow us on social media. Jay also is very active on social media and YouTube and has lots of information and resources out there. So uh, check back each week with new episodes. And thank you again, Jay, for your expertise and all the good information. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Absolutely. All right. That's a wrap for us today. Thanks for joining us for Paladin Financial Talk. Thank you for listening to Paladin Financial Talk. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Jeff Foley at Paladin Financial. Call 877-219-3199 or visit their website at financialpaladin.com. Advisory services offered through Paladin Wealth LLC, a Minnesota registered investment advisor. Paladin Wealth LLC offers advisory services under the DBA Paladin Financial and Paladin Wealth. Insurance products and services offered through Paladin Insurance LLC. Paladin Wealth LLC and Paladin Insurance LLC are affiliated companies. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. We are not affiliated with or enforced by the Social Security Administration, the Federal Medicare Program, or any other government agency. Calling this number will direct you to a licensed sales agent.